You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. And she says, There are no gay teachers at this school. And I say, You don't know that. There could be. And my heart starts racing. And my palms start to sweat. And she says, Where? Where is all the gay teachers at? I am crying and saying, We won! We, we did it! On the phone. When I come up for air, I finally turn to the class and say, um, I don't know if you know, but I'm gay. And I've been fighting for this for the last 20 years. And this, this is the happiest day of my life. You're listening to Houses on the Moon podcast. The unheard voice. Amplified. 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 Making a home for stories in uncharted space since 2001. Hi, this is Emily Joy Weiner. I'm the co-founder and artistic director of Houses on the Moon Theatre Company in New York City. I'm stepping in for Jeff today as guest host. On this episode of Houses on the Moon podcast, we share true tales from Houses on the Moon's international LGBTQ plus story sharing project, The Q Story Stream. We have two stories about teachers learning very different lessons. When our own Jeffrey Solomon tries to help a bullied student in the drama class that he teaches on Staten Island, the adult discovers you never really leave junior high school. And across the globe in Mumbai, India, Sachin Jain tries to teach his Spanish class while nervously awaiting the verdict from the Indian Supreme Court on whether, as a gay man, He will remain a criminal in his country. After the stories, I'll join Jeff and Sachin in conversation about crafting their narratives, forging international creative partnerships, and the struggle for LGBTQI liberation in both the U.S. and India. So stick around. And now here's Jeffrey Solomon telling his story, Missives from the Wormhole. When the call came, I should have said no, because I am always just one diss, one snap, one insult away from time travel, from being sucked into the wormhole and instantly transported back to that tender and terrible time known as junior high. But I needed the money, and so off to the ass end of Staten Island I went to teach conflict resolution through drama to seventh graders in a little neighborhood called Tottenville where Staten Island almost touches New Jersey. My class was made up of 24 tough little Italian boys with spiked gelled hair, one equally tough little girl named Roxanne, who the kids called Rocky, and one very effeminate little gay boy named Franklin Sacalosin. One day, my teaching partner, Sienna, and I are picking up the room, and Franklin stays behind to help clean up, because he's a sweet kid. And he says, "Mm, Hi, you guys. How are you doing today? And I say, Okay, Franklin, how are you? And he says, All right, I guess. And I say, Why, Franklin? What's wrong? And he says, Well... The other kids are always teasing me. And if I tell my mother or the teacher, 
It just gets worse. What should I do? Now, I'd let Sienna field that one on account of my junior high school-related post-traumatic stress disorder. And she says, Franklin, you know what I do? When anyone is being mean or cruel to me, I just close my eyes and I imagine that I'm surrounded in a bubble of pure white light. And all the negativity they're sending my way gets absorbed by my bubble and transformed into gold, which is the color of love, and it shoots back at them, and it will change them, Franklin. I promise you, that is the worst idea that I have ever heard, and I vow I'm going to find a way to help Franklin. The very next time we're teaching, Roxanne turns to Franklin, and she says, Yo, shut up, faggot. And then to the entire class, I hate that kid. He's a faggot. And I say, Roxanne, you need to come with me right now. And I leave Sienna with the students. We find an empty classroom and we sit face to face. And I say, Roxanne, aside from being really cruel to Franklin, That word that you use, that F-A-G-G-O-T word, that's a slur. You know, that's like any other word you'd use to put down a whole group of people. Like the N-word. And when you use it, you don't even know who's around you. You know, there, there could be people who have gay or transgender family members. Or there could be gay students. And she says... There are no gay students at this school. And I say, well, you don't know that. There could be. And she says, oh, please, Mr. Jeff. This is Tartanville. There are no gay students at this school. And I say, okay, well, how about teachers? There, there could be teachers. And she says, there are no gay teachers at this school. And I say, you don't know that. There could be. And my heart starts racing and my palms start to sweat. And she says, where? Where is all the gang teachers at? And I take a deep breath. And I say, me. I'm, I'm gay. And when you use language like that, Roxanne, it really hurts. And she stops, and she thinks about it, and she says, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize I didn't mean anything by it. I won't do it again. And I think, wow, this is what we call in education a teachable moment, and I thought that I had handled it beautifully. Just then, Sal this great big lug of a kid from our class walks down the hallway and by our open door with a bathroom pass in his hand and Roxanne jumps up from her seat and she says, Yo, Sal, Jeff is gay. And he gets this incredibly wounded look on his face and he says, Yo, don't say that. That's mean. And she says, No, Sal, it's true. He just told me, right, Jeff? 
and says, Yo, Jeff, is that true? Are you... Uh, <laughs> are you gay? And I say... That that was um, a private conversation between Roxanne and I. And then luckily I was saved by the bell and the kids scatter for the next class. Moments later, however, in the hallway, I'm mobbed by 24 pubescent males reeking of hormones and cheap cologne and they're screaming in my face, Yo, Jeff! Jeff! Are you gay? Are you gay? Oh, 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 man! Oh, man, are you gay? Are you gay, Jeff? Are you gay? And there was a giant sucking sound as I fell into the wormhole. Why? Why did I deny being gay that day? Was it the expected negative reaction of the student's parents? Or the principal? Or my boss? No. The one responsible was that seventh grader still sitting inside me, swathed in velour and corduroy, and surrounded on all sides by cruelty. Not that it mattered. After that day, I was known as that gay teacher. And one day, the class laughed at a joke I was not in on for about 30 minutes until mercifully, Franklin whispered in my ear and pointed to the blackboard where someone had written Mr. Faggot in pink chalk. That day, I was picking up the room alone because Sienna headed to the city for an audition. And Franklin stops in and he says, Hey, Mr. Jeff, how are you doing today? And I say, um, all right, I guess. And Franklin says, rough day? And I say, yeah. (laughs) Franklin, it was kind of a rough day. And he says, wow, Jeff, you know what I do when anyone is saying something mean or cruel to me? I just close my eyes and I imagine that I am surrounded in a bubble of pure white light. I did it, Jeff. It works. It really works. That was Jeffrey Solomon telling his story, Missives from the Wormhole. In 2018, the Indian Supreme Court took up the question of whether to decriminalize homosexuality. That question had special meaning for teacher, writer, and queer activist Sachin Jain, and he captured that experience in this true story. Actor Sohrab Wadia, a bright light on world stages and a global citizen born and raised in Bombay, will be telling Sachin's story today. Now here's Sachin Jain's Poor versus Para. It's the morning of the verdict, September 6th, 2018, and I'm teaching Spanish to grades 11 and 12. The verdict is supposed to be out at 10.30 a.m. I can't take the tension, so I leave school and do what any Indian man roiling in anxiety would do. I head to the neighborhood barbershop and ask for a head massage. Parachute or Navratna? The barber asks. These are the two standard head massage oil choices in Mumbai. The first is a plain coconut oil brand, iconic, venerated for years, that does its job efficiently and without fuss. The smell of the second one, the Navratna, is the olfactory equivalent of a fabulous operatic diva. 
obviously I went for the Navratna. I look at the screen of my smartphone. It had become my courthouse where a ticker scrolling through the bottom of the news channel would read out the verdict. My verdict. I can hardly believe we are here at this moment again. I remember our delirious joy on July 2nd, 2009 when the Delhi High Court decision decriminalizing our lives came out. Taking photographs of the TV screen, scarcely able to believe that this had happened in our lifetime. We danced that weekday night away, eating jalebis out of newspapers in a large wicker basket, hugging each other and jumping up and down, half afraid that this would all be but a dream. I also remember what we felt four years later when the High Court's decision was challenged. Hoping for victory, we had brought balloons and banners to celebrate the affirmation of our rights. But as the news filtered out that the court had made us criminals again, I remember the shock I felt, the swimming heartbreak. The massage begins and I start to relax a bit. We go through the usual stages. My dry scalp drinking up a liter of oil. Then the hand vibrator all the way down the neck, shoulders, back, hands and fingers. And finally, the pièce de résistance. The barber's pinky in my ear through the hand vibrator and I tilting my head to generate the most delectable ear orgasm ever. <sighs> The hot towel wipes off any traces of oil on my head. Verdict at 10.45, the news channel says. Back to school. It's 10.45 and time for the grade 11 Spanish class. I prop up my phone on the base of the computer screen and leave the live television on, on mute. Verdict at 11.15, the ticker now says. Oh, damn. The students file in, and I open Google Classroom in my browser and queue up the relevant YouTube video. It's Por versus Para by Senor Jordan, an all-American, twinkie, gay, white boy Spanish teacher who makes superb grammar videos. Been totally crushing on him since I began learning Spanish. The students are seated and the video begins to play. Por and Para are prepositions in Spanish. The difference between them is a notoriously difficult concept for learners. Senor Jordan asks a few multiple choice questions. I press the spacebar to pause after every question and pupils attempt answers in turns. Por, reason, time period, manner, means, motive, opinion, estimation. Para, destination, limitation, purpose, deadline. Trying to seem nonchalant, I keep stealing glances at my smartphone where the suspense of the Supreme Court verdict is playing out on mute. At exactly 11.30, the ticker says, Verdict being read. It's also time for the five-minute class break. I'm proud of myself for having conducted a class with such normalcy. I play the live TV channel on the class projector. The students are having a snack, talking to each other, walking about. A couple have gone to the restroom. And then, on the TV in big capital letters, the words, Homosexuality Decriminalized. Supreme Court reads down Section 377. Over! 377 is gone! It is over! 377 scrapped the hashtag today! I'm 
gobsmacked. Then I let out a high-pitched scream. My mom, my masi, that's my mother's sister, gay and straight friends, male and female, called to congratulate me. I am crying and saying, we won, we, we did it, on the phone. When I come up for air, I finally turn to the class and say, um, I don't know if you know, but I'm gay. And I've been fighting for this for the last 20 years. And this, this is the happiest day of my life. The reaction is insane. They whoop and erupt with joy. They get off their seats, come up and shake my hand and hug me. They dance, scream, hug each other and go completely mental. After a few ecstatic moments of this, I open another tab on the browser and play the new version of Despacito with Justin Bieber. I think some of them are just thrilled to have an entire class unexpectedly converted into a dance party just before lunch break. The night before, unsure of which way things would go the next day, I'd hesitantly folded and put a giant rainbow flag into my backpack. Now I take it out and put it over the whiteboard. The students take selfies with me in front of it and selfies with each other. They ask me questions about my life. Some are in tears. After school, as I'm gathering my things, a shy male student peeks through the door and says, Hi, sir. Could we have a picture together with the flag? I say, sure. He comes up, we take the picture on his phone and he sends it to me. He says, Sir, um, could you not share this with anyone? It's just that I'm not out yet. In 1992, when I was 16, like my students are now, how I wish there had been a teacher I could have talked to about being gay. What an amazing thing for a queer pupil to live through this moment in history with an out and proud gay teacher surrounded by supportive and loving classmates. Many wonderful things followed that day and that week. But those 45 minutes, those 45 minutes were the best destination on a 25-year journey that started with a self-discovery in the early 1990s. Every crack that the hammer of circumstance smashed into my heart seemed, for now, to have been lovingly filled. And por versus para? Even if we get it wrong, it's okay. It doesn't matter. We'll figure it out as we go along. Muchas gracias. Coming up, I'll talk to Jeffrey Solomon and Sachin Jain about their stories. This is Houses on the Moon podcast. Houses on the Moon podcast. I'm Emily Joy Weiner. Jeff and Sachin, so nice to be with you today. Uh, those stories are not just moving and beautiful, but so funny, uh, which is really a pleasure to have two really deep stories yet with such great humor in them. So thanks so much for, uh, for being here and for sharing those stories with us. 
These stories that we just heard were developed for a cross-cultural storytelling program that the two of you recently created with Houses on the Moon Theatre Company called Q Story Stream. What exactly is the Q Story Stream? And then I'd love to hear from, from both of you in terms of where the inspiration for this project came from. Q Story Stream is a cross-cultural story-sharing project. Um, we're dealing with short-form storytelling, true stories, and the idea is that stories told on one continent uh, can inspire and, and educate and enrich those on another continent, and vice versa, that this global conversation between narratives is vital. And it was inspired really by my friendship with, uh, with Sachin. You know, we hung out, we shared stories, and there was just something so beautiful and so rich in knowing that our struggle, in our struggle, we were not alone. Um, and we decided to amplify that and put together two story, two storytelling cohorts, one in Los Angeles, where I now live, and a second queer storytelling cohort in Mumbai. Yeah, so Emily, another thing that was special uh, for us about this was that uh, because 4G technology was is so powerful now where we can actually do things in real time. So this allowed us for the first time to sort of combine uh, the traditional elements of call and response, which uh, uh, Jeff based this on with doing real life interactions. So I think it was also a lesson in how to harness what technology is doing and uh, think of creative or lateral ways for us to bring each other together. Sachin, did you have an, any impression of the LA cohort in, in doing this project so far? Or Jeff, same question for you in terms of the Mumbai storytellers? Uh, I thought they were super cute. I was all the time like, you know, guys, just move your camera down. I want to see you guys. I want to see your faces. Like, And I was like, Jeff, just move the frame to the left to the right and um yeah we just didn't want to go and you know we'd meet on sundays and then uh we'd you know have a certain time that we were going to finish at but we just sort of go on and on for a bit one thing that struck me is that whenever we uh skyped with them or what whatever digital video uh video chat platform we, we met on the mumbai group never gathered without making some food, some what looked to be from our screens delicious food. <laughs> and I felt a kind of cultural poverty <laughs> in relation to to that group. Just I was like, why don't we do that? So we we started to, you know, we started to measure up. We had one or two meetings where people brought food. So we were definitely we were definitely inspired by that. Speaking of food, Sachin, can you please tell me in your own words, what is a jalebi? <laughs> yeah, well, a jalebi is a sweet uh, which is uh, fried in uh, sugar syrup, basically. So it's a calorie bomb, but it's absolutely delicious. So it's this lovely spongy sweet, uh, which is saffron uh, in color because it's uh, imbued with uh, saffron. And um, it's actually really funny because we say in India when we want to say um, someone is really gay you say in America you say for example somebody is gay as a row of pink tents in India we say somebody is as straight as straight as a jalebi because a jalebi is round and round and round so it's completely not straight <laughs> so like you know I'm gayer than a jalebi <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god, I love can I use that if I want? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> when we were talking about this episode, you mentioned the language unapprehended felon. Was that was that language used in relation to section three seven seven of the law? Absolutely. So under section three seventy seven, as an open LGBT person, whether you are lesbian or gay or bi or trans, and uh, you quote unquote admitted to having gay sex, uh, you were basically admitting to a felony, right? And so your status, legal status was effectively that of an unapprehended felon. And uh, that really took a toll, you know, on the community, on a lot of people. And it affected the way people uh, LGBT people interacted with, with each other, uh, how, whether they came out to their families, whether they uh, responded to bullying. And it also gave vigilantism and moral policing a free hand. Because when the law of the land and the court in the country, you know, says that who you are at your core is something that's wrong and something that deserves punishment, then how do you exist as a citizen of that country? So that's a very twisted sort of uh, contorted place to be in for any LGBT person. And uh, so I think I think the invisible toll that uh, Section 377 took was absolutely ghastly. And I'm just happy for the future generations because they don't have to pay that price anymore. Jeff, prior to the events that you describe in your story, uh, I happen to know that you, you had been very, very active in the efforts to fight homophobia in schools to make them more inclusive for all students. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that in some respects, it's surprising for me even to hear you tell a story about how scared you were to come out as a gay man in a classroom. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So a couple of things. You asked about Staten Island. Uh, it does have a very macho male current. It's tough. Okay, I don't want to stereotype because there's a lot of beautiful people in Staten Island. But the presentation of masculinity is familiar to me. I didn't grow up in Staten Island. I grew up in Connecticut. But um, men being men and acting in the way that men are supposed to act scares the shit out of me. It did scare the shit out of me. Um, even though they were junior high school students, the story is about how we never really leave junior high, that the scars that I absorbed at that time from bullies <laughs> always in a way stay with me. So the story the story's from 2005. So there certainly was a lot, uh, there was less visibility. But as a young man, as a high school student, I had definitely absorbed the message um, that this is not an appropriate subject for children. And I carried that into the classroom, that somehow by acknowledging gay people, by discussing your life, you are promoting some kind of agenda, some kind of moral agenda, uh, which is not true. But like Sachin said, many things about the law um, and cultural norms perpetuate silence. And we're in a difficult position as gay teachers, and I had to learn to be out and proud. 
one of the biggest traumas queer teachers face is the conflation of pedophilia with homosexuality and because teachers work with pupils uh, at such a close range a normal normally a teacher uses the love they feel as the rocket fuel to uh, advance academic achievement to inspire and you know when uh, the the love you feel the pure love you feel for a pupil is misconstrued uh and is uh liable to be misconstrued you know uh, in a way just uh, because of your sexuality and because of who you are so queer teachers hold back so the, the way queer teachers deal uh, with the conflation of pedophilia and homosexuality is to distance themselves is to detach themselves and uh to not uh you know use their emotions and harness their emotions in a way that they would do in a normal job and i think that's quite tragic Thank you. Je- Jeff, would you do you have a question you want to ask Sachin while we have the opportunity today? I do. In many cases our countries are on two different timelines in terms of the LGBTQ civil rights struggle. And I wondered in terms of the Q Story Stream project and our friendship if there was ever a tension there. Um between between the rights situations in terms of um well in my own case being able to marry and to adopt i just wondered if it's been mostly a glorious cross-cultural exchange but i wonder if there's ever been a tension there between the very varying rights situations in our countries that's a great question jeff and that comes up uh, so often for us when uh, we talk to people from western countries where uh, there has been a tradition of rights for a relatively significant amount of time and uh, so when uh, say somebody from la complains about something you know sometimes we in lesser moments we tend to roll our eyes and say hashtag first world problem because uh, <laughs> you know what we're dealing with here seems to us to be um, insurmountable in comparison but then when i think of somebody from iran or from saudi arabia or from somalia or a country where the death penalty is still extant uh, you know an indian queer person's problems would seem like uh, hashtag first world problems maybe to that person so i think jeff uh, yes there was that tension but i think that was a very productive and creative tension because it challenged us to put ourselves in each other's shoes to have empathy for each other's situations and to uh, put ourselves uh, in each other's places and to see the world from uh, each other's eyes and i think that was one of the most unexpected and uh, enriching experiences of q story for me this has been a complete pleasure so i thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for spending this time and telling your gorgeous stories and for the uh, really exciting conversation today thank you Thank you so much Evely. Thanks Emmy. Thanks Sachin. Thanks Jeff. It's been wonderful to speak to you as always. I'm kissing you through the internet. Kissing you right back. <laughs> Jeffrey Solomon is the co-founder of Houses on the Moon Theater Company. He has toured his solo plays Mother Son and The Santa Claus at internationally and he's a Moth Grand Slam champion. Sachin Jain is the artistic director of Anakant Productions. one of the few theater companies in India dedicated to developing queer themes and talent. 
He is the Hindi language editor of India's largest LGBT publication, Galaxy Magazine, and the founder of GAR, Gay Housing Assistance Resource, a free resource for LGBTQ people to find safe housing in India. Sourabh Wadia is an actor and singer most recently seen in the North American premiere of Bend It Like Beckham in Toronto and in Mira Nair's new musical Monsoon Wedding at Berkeley Repertory Theatre and at the Black Box Okla in New Delhi. Special thanks to the Lanky Family Foundation and to the Broadway Podcast Network for making this program possible. The Houses on the Moon podcast is produced by Will Coley. Original music is composed by Raleigh Neal II. The creative director is Jeffrey Solomon. The managing director of Houses on the Moon Theatre Company is Kevin Connor. If you want to learn more about Houses on the Moon, please visit us at housesonthemoon.org and follow us on Instagram or Facebook. I'm Emily Joy Weiner, Houses on the Moon's Artistic Director. Thanks for listening, everyone. Keep your ear to the ground. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.